Y'all need to wake up. Y'all need to get fired up. This is good. And I'm going to say this. I, I had this thought. Maybe the Lord just wants me to say it. We have a tendency to be blinded to our need for this time. Our people will get on a plane and fly to a different city to take refugee status to meet. We think we need to sleep in. And I can't drive across town. And so I need this Sunday off. Statistically, in the, America, in, in the United States of America, your most, your most committed people in the fellowship attend two times a month. That is because we really believe that's all we need. Our people will fly to a new city and be a refugee to meet with the people of God. You tell me which one of those is most healthy. And so I just want to lay that on you today. Not as a, listen, don't hear guilt. Just hear fact. Fact. We have a tendency to think we may be more developed as a nation, but spiritually we are blind. And I just want to say through this community church, let's be the people of God. Let's not, let's not miss the great advantage we have of being in a place where we are free to meet. Freedom has a tendency to make us comfortable and comfort has a tendency to make us sit back and miss the kingdom. And I want to say to you, let us not do that. We have been given the grace of freedom. And we must take advantage of it. Amen? Amen. 2 Timothy 4, 1-5. 2 Timothy 4, 1-5. Continue in the work. Preach the word. Continue in the work, preach the word. Let me read our passage, and then we'll get after it. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from... Listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Paul's instructed Timothy in chapter 3, verse 14, that he is to continue in what he has learned. That, that's Post and hit that last week. The verb there is, the main verb of the passage is, Timothy, continue in what you've learned. Where have you learned it from, Timothy? The Scriptures. That are able to make you wise for salvation. They are breathed out. They are spoken by God. And they are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. The man of God may be equipped, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So Timothy, continue. Stay in it. Stay on task. And because of that command, Paul now comes to chapter 4, verse 1 to 5, and he gives them the charge. He gives them the command. I charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is the judge of living and dead, and by his appearance in his kingdom, preach that word, Timothy. Make that word known. This is not in my notes. If you're following on the blog, this is just sort of, is here, this is free. This, this, this command is the, the sort of implication here is that, Timothy, that's what you're going to preach. You're going to preach the Scriptures. You're going to come with pretty, nice little packaged how-tos on how to fit into your culture. That doesn't help you walk in the kingdom. So, I charge you, Timothy. I charge you, Church at Ephesus. I charge you, Three Rivers Community Church. I charge you, Church of Jesus Christ. Preach the Word. Preach the Scriptures. Preach the Bible. So, let's jump into point number one. We are charged, we're charged, that is, we're given a responsibility. You understand a charge? 
There's this idea of being in charge. It's, it's sort of like when I, when I tell my sons there's something for them to do, I'm charging them by, by the judgment that is to follow. Clean your room. And so that is very much the essence of this passage. I charge you, Timothy. I'm giving you a duty, a responsibility. And, and, and here's what Paul does by the inspiration of the Spirit. Remember, this is breathed out by God. And by the way, Poston probably hit this last week. I haven't had a chance to listen to it fully. But this, this word used for Scripture here is replied to the Old Testament and the New Testament. That same word is used in, in application of Paul's writings, meaning that Scripture equals Old and New Testament. Right? So therefore, this charge is coming by the inspiration of God to the people of God. This duty, this responsibility, and here's what the charge is based on. We're charged by the coming judgment of Jesus Christ, His return, and His kingdom. Wow. So in other words, my duty and responsibility is based on the glorious reality of the judgment of Jesus Christ. His return and His kingdom. Take note of the fact that Timothy and the Ephesians and all of us are charged. In other words, it's our duty and it's our responsibility to proclaim the Scriptures. Proclaim the Scriptures. Not your opinion. Not the teaching of the times. Not your culture, but the Scriptures. We're given that responsibility. And it's based on the unchanging fact that Jesus is the coming and reigning judge of all things. So our duty and our responsibility requires attention and it requires execution. The duty to clean your room implies the responsibility to get after it and complete the task or... Bad things are going to happen. So what follows is the duty and the responsibility of every pastor, every church member, everyone who calls the name of Jesus. And this charge is the why to the what. This charge is the why to the what. The what is going to be to preach the word. The what he's about to get to, preach the word. The charge is the why. Why is Paul charging Timothy, charging the church at Ephesus, charging us with this responsibility? Well, he states it here. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's the judge living in the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Why preach the word? Because Jesus is going to judge, He is returning, and He's the King. And if He's the judge, and He's coming to judge, and He's coming to fully and completely reign, then we might ought to get after it. Does it make sense? The why to the what is Jesus is coming, He's King, and He's going to judge. Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead. He says that in the text. Take a look at Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 to 15. When we study through the book of Revelation, this, this, I don't have time to really unpack this passage, but this apocalyptic material here, John is being shown by the Spirit of God what is to come. And he sees this beautiful event taking place where heaven and earth flee away. They go away. And then he describes this 
And then the next chapter, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This beautiful reality of, of heaven is not like up in the sky somewhere in the spiritual existence. It's physical existence. New heaven, new earth. Eden regained. Sin wiped out. And this is that little in-between section right here. All right? It's Revelation 20, 11, 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. That's bad. The good news is for us, we are not judged according to what we do. If you repent and believe the gospel, you are judged based on the righteousness of Christ. And your standing before Jesus is for reward, not for hell. Not for the passing of sentence. But those who have not repented and believed the gospel are judged according to what they had done and nobody is going to measure up. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them and they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Jesus is coming, he's coming to judge. And because He's coming to judge, we are given the mandate to preach this Word. Because this Word, this Gospel, is the power of God for salvation. And it's the only thing that will rescue a soul from that. And so, I charge you, Timothy, I charge you, Church at Ephesus, I charge you, Three Rivers Community Church, based on the coming judgment of Jesus, preach this Word. Now, that doesn't really stack up real good with the modern-day concept of evangelism. I don't offend anybody. Don't make them afraid. The reality of the gospel is there is a hell to be gained by those who will not repent and believe the gospel. Now, does that mean we're supposed to stand on a street corner and talk about hell to everybody that walks by? Probably not. But somewhere in the gospel presentation, you have to get to the reality there's a judgment coming for those who will not repent and believe the gospel. That's a fact. Jesus taught on that a lot. And so Paul says, I charge you on Jesus' coming judgment. Now here's a little good news for us. Followers of Jesus are not judged to pass sentence in the lake of fire, but Colossians 3, 23 to 25, 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15, we'll stand before Jesus and we receive reward. Or we see those things that we have done that didn't measure up taken away and burned up, but we escape, as Paul says in Corinthians, as one passing through the flames, and we enter the kingdom with the reward that Jesus has passed out to us. But based on Jesus' coming judgment, Paul tells us, preach the word. So, based on the coming judgment of Jesus, preach the word. Jesus is coming in person to do this judging. Jesus is physically, personally returning. Paul says, based on the coming of Jesus Christ. Listen, Christian, our great hope, Paul defines as Jesus is coming. The state of things now is not what they will be. The kingdom is advancing. Jesus is spreading the rule of His kingdom. He's bringing all things into reconciliation with Himself. But He is personally going to return. Listen to Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-18. For the Lord Himself, the Lord Himself, that's pretty personal, right? Right? 
The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Jesus is coming. He's coming to judge. Jesus is also the King. And Jesus as King rules with absolute authority and absolute power. As a result, we probably better be telling folks, which is where Paul's about to go. Because Jesus is coming, because he's judge and because he's king, he's going to tell us now, here's your charge, preach the word. Because it's a charge given to us, I would say this, we don't have the right to shirk the charge nor pretend like it's not for us. It's for all of us. The mandate, the charge based on the coming judge of the universe and king is that we have a story to tell and it must be proclaimed. One of the great lacks in the church in the West is the silence of the people of God and the refusal to speak the truth of the gospel in their domain of society. We're ashamed. The bottom line is I believe we're ashamed of the gospel. I believe the pressure of culture being squeezed into the mold of this world system causes us to be quiet. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to be marginalized. We don't want to be thought of as crazy or strange. We just keep our mouths shut. And the reality is we're charged here based on Jesus, the judge and king, returning. And as a result of that, I don't know about you, but I think I would rather be more aware of that than I am. Jeez, they may say something unkind to me. Jesus, they may kill me if you live in the right place in the world. Well, the Bible's full of exhortation. Don't worry about that. Jesus even said, remember a couple of weeks ago we reviewed Matthew 10, right? Some of you, they're going to kill and throw into prison, but not a hair of your head will perish. Right? right? To live as Christ, to die as gain. The Scriptures are full of encouragement. Don't worry about that. And Jesus even said, let me show you who to be afraid of. Let me be afraid of those who kill the body and can't touch the soul. Fear the one who has the authority to cast both soul and body into hell. That's Jesus, right? The one we say we follow. So we're charged. Guys, we can't shirk that responsibility. Three of us community church, when you walk out of here today, wherever you find yourself this week, be quick with Jesus. Be quick with the good news. Be quick with the worldview of the good news. Be quick to apply the kingdom. Why? Because Jesus, the king and judge, is coming. Remember, Jesus told us some parables about that, didn't he? One of them was about the dishonest manager who said, well, the master's going to be a long time in coming, so I'm going to get drunk, beat the slaves, and just kind of hang out in the palace. Can you say Western church? That's good. Good. I mean, after all, I mean, lots of people groups left, so he's not coming tomorrow. So, I mean, really? Do I have to, I mean, do I have to just kind of hang out? I mean, I can just, I can put it off. I mean, after all, I mean, tomorrow's coming, right? Maybe not. Maybe not. With the advance of technology today and the rate at which the gospel is advancing, let me just be honest with you, Jesus could snap a finger and cause the gospel to be proclaimed everywhere and people to believe in every people group. Matthew 24, 14 is fulfilled and He may come. Don't be like the dishonest manager in the parable. Be on task. Because the coming reign and judge of the universe is coming. And what did Jesus say about the wise and foolish virgins? Some thought, eh, he's not here yet. So I'm going to take a nap. And when he returned, they were asleep. They went to the wise. Hey, 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 give us some oil. Negative, Ghost Rider. The pattern is full. 
No. And they were left out of the banquet. Listen, guys, they were awaiting the feast, but they were left out of the feast. Why? Because they were not ready. You cannot sit refusing to do the kingdom and thinking it's okay and that you're in. Because the master comes, those who are about the kingdom will be let in. Those who are not about the kingdom will not be let in. Many will say to me in that day, did we not say, Lord, Lord? And did we not cast out demons in your name? And Jesus will declare to them, depart, you're not mine. Listen, here's the... Jesus is one of those... This is why people don't like Jesus, because you read and pay attention to Jesus. Jesus is scary. But He's only scary to those who don't believe in Him. Right? Jesus said, there are going to be people who cast out demons in my name. Why? Because my name's powerful. We read about that in Acts, right? The sons of Sceva. Like, ooh, they, they're powerful. They're casting out demons in Jesus' name. They're trying to cast out demons. Demons start roughing them up, beats them up, rips their clothes off. They run out naked, afraid of the demon. Right? If you hadn't read Acts, you're like, he said naked. I can't believe he said that. It's in Acts. Go read it, right? And so, there are people who, because Jesus' name is powerful, speak it, and the miraculous things happen, but they don't belong to Jesus. There are people who do work in the kingdom, but they don't belong to Jesus. And Paul says here, I charge you because the king and judge is coming. Get after preaching the kingdom. Preach the word. So we're charged here. We're charged. We're charged to be ready to preach the word. This this passage here, verse 2, it's command. It's imperative. Preach the word. Preach the word. So the charge... Is the why, the what? Preach the word. Preach the word. But he tells us how to do that. Preach the word. He says, in season and out of season. He says, to be ready to preach the word. In season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. So how does he tell us to preach the word? First, he tells us in season and out of season. This is crazy. These two words here mean convenient and inconvenient. The literal meaning of eukairos and akairos is eukairos is the convenient time. The akairos is the inconvenient time. And he says, church, be ready to preach when it's convenient and when it's not. Does that not Put a dagger in the heart. Because I'm ready when I'm ready. But there are those times, leave me alone. Right? Anybody unspiritual enough to admit that they just don't want to do stuff in an inconvenient time? That is the blight of the West. There's, there's my time, then there's God's time. And this is my time. It's not convenient for Jesus to speak to me now not convenient to be with the people of God because after all, I've been sacrificing to idols all week and it's time to leave this time for me. Convenient and inconvenient, preach the Word. In other words, be ready. Be ready, be ready. What did Peter tell us, right? 1 Peter 3.15 But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. In other words, be ready when it's convenient, when it's not. Be saturated with the Word. This is why we, we say as Christians, read your Bible. You never know when the information downloaded needs to be available for Holy Spirit to pull up, put in your mouth, and cause you to speak. 
Always be saturated with the Word. Be ready to communicate then what you're saturated with. And we must be practicing. And the practicing of telling what we've learned. You know one of the greatest places this happens? Radical life groups. You know what? I would, I would cherish today that our life together is so attractive that people who aren't in the kingdom want to come and be part of us. And as we sit together and as we share what we've been reading and what the Lord is teaching us, we teach others and they hear the word, cut to the heart and repent and believe the gospel. That's how it happened in the Bible. You think that can happen today? Absolutely. We've seen it happening. We've tasted it happening. And I believe it can happen here too. So he tells us to be ready in season and out of season. He tells us to reprove. By the way, these are all commands. Reprove. It's imperative. It's not a suggestion. Reprove. Reprove means to convict. It means to show one to be in the wrong and thus have to change. There are right things and there are wrong things. If we love, we want them to know what's right. And Paul says, be ready because Jesus is coming, the King is coming, He's going to judge. And so therefore, reprove. Show people where they're wrong and where they need to repent. Does how many of you that just hit funny? We don't want to show people where we're wrong, right? Because in our culture, everything's right. It's whatever you think is right, right? It's right for you, right for me. They're different, but whatever. Just be happy. woo No, that's not what this says. Now, if what Poston taught us last week is true, there's correction that must take place sometimes, right? Because if Jesus is king and judge, and he's going to judge based on this, then why would we want people to be wrong? Right? You understand why Jesus is at the center of debate globally? This is what he said is true, then we'd better worship. Right? Like Lewis said, C.S. Lewis, right? He's either Lord and we all need to bow at his feet and worship, or he was a liar or crazy. But there's no other option for Jesus. And if he is the judge and king and he's returning, and he tells us to be ready, conveniently and not conveniently, to preach the word and reprove, then there are wrong things that need to be corrected because what's at stake is a person's salvation. What's at stake is a person's good eternally. Right? Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. He tells to rebuke. It's easy to confuse rebuke and reprove. Reprove is show people where they're wrong in regard to right and wrong. Rebuke is to strongly warn with urgency and authority. Perhaps it's a strong challenge to a debatable decision. Maybe there's not a clear right and wrong. It's just kind of like not wise. A rebuke is, that's dumb. Don't do that anymore. Right? Because, by the way, there's a book in our Bible called the Proverbs loaded with wise decision making. Do this, don't do this. Don't do this, do this. Right? And and maybe, maybe we do life together. Right? Dude, that's dumb. Now don't do that. Man, I love you. And that's kind of, eh, not smart. The tangible result of that is probably not going to be a net positive for you. Let's kind of back up and think about that again, right? Rebuke and exhort. The word used for exhort is the same word used by Jesus to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Paraclete. Paracletos. It means to aid, to comfort, to walk along beside. And so we use the scriptures to walk along with each other. 
We use the Scriptures to comfort one another. When we're hurting, we use the Scriptures to encourage. One of the dominant questions I got asked by our people group was, why do we have to suffer? And so for a little while, I took the book of Job, life experience. I'm thankful, by the way, I had an opportunity to see that those six years of abuse I received as a child were not in vain. The Lord never makes mistakes. Even in difficulty, He never makes mistakes. I didn't speak from a theory, an ivory tower. I spoke from the crucible of experience to those in the crucible of experience, the Scriptures, and we walked along together for a few Holy Spirit moments where their souls were encouraged. Exhort. A. Comfort. But He tells us to do this to preach with patience and teaching. Notice what he says here. Preach the word, convenient, not convenient, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. So we're to preach the word and we're to preach with patience and teaching. Preaching is not teaching. Teaching is not preaching. But when pastors and people preach, they had better be teaching. Let's say that again. Preaching is not teaching. Teaching is not preaching. But when pastors, people of God preach, they had better be teaching. In other words, preaching is the vehicle and the content is the substance of instruction. I grew up in a tradition where people preached... And there wasn't a lot of content. They were loud and urgent, but they didn't say a lot. That is not preaching. Loudness and passion is worthless unless it is full of truth. Teaching full of truth that doesn't have an urgency to it falls on deaf ears because you're a monotone. Preaching is a passionate and urgent and content-rich diet of truth that will nourish a soul. So Paul tells us, because Jesus is the King and He's judge, preach the Word, be ready at all times, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with complete patience and teaching. We must preach patiently. I ain't going to lie to you. There's 13 years, almost, and there's times I lose patience. So I'm thinking, how many more times we got to say it? I can just be honest. And the worst is when you've been saying it for 13 years, and somebody comes and tells you they heard it from another guy on a podcast, and you're like, oh, God. <sighs> and I want to run through a brick wall going, where have you? I'm sorry, you were only here once last month. Can I be honest? Can I be honest? I mean, I'm sorry, we're supposed to be bulletproof, right? No, really? The reality is, guys, it's a patient task. I'm just telling you, that's what I think. I don't think, someone think preachers, they think sweet things all the time. No, we don't. Some of us are violent people. We've been redeemed by the gospel. But there's still sin that needs to be dealt with. And some of that is violence. And you're like, well, scream. There are times, let me confess some of my psychosis here, and sometimes at home, 
Yesterday this happened. I was I find myself things going in my mind. I say it out loud, and my son asked me, "What, Dad?" And I was like, "Oh, that came out." You see this stuff in your head, and it just it, somehow it works itself out. But you know what? The command here for me, for all of us, is patience. Take a deep breath. Realize, hey man, we're dealing with the fall. You, I, I'm far from having arrived because this thing is broke bad. I say things that of the four-letter variety that I, y'all don't pretend like y'all don't do that either, right? And the, and the, and we were actually Jenny, where are you at? I can't see. There you are. We 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 practiced some of that when we were leaving the airport in the country because they some fools trying to keep us away from our children, and we were ready to kill people. It's like I might be here with the gospel, but I'm gonna kill you. You better get out my way. And it's like we said some fun things, didn't we? All in the name of Jesus, right? So none of us are perfect. Right? And there are things that happen, but we... Patience. Patience. Kayla was the voice of reason. She was speaking like this. She was like, relax, y'all. It's all good. She was so sweet and kind. And we are like, ah, sin, sin. <laughs> patience. So we haven't arrived. You haven't arrived. And so preach patiently. So I'm preaching to me. Preach patiently. It's been 13 years. May need 26 years. You're in backward Rome, Georgia. And if you've never been out of Rome, Georgia, you don't really know how backward it is. This place is crazy. It took me being in Texas to realize I'm backward. I thought we had it together. I got there and realized, dang, there's a reason Southerners have a stereotype. I fit it. mm. So, patience. We're working in a post-Christian culture that uses theological language but doesn't know the meaning behind it nor the power behind it. Paul described it. We studied that form of godliness but denies its power. That's us. That's us. That's us. And so we're dealing with spiritual strongholds. You know right? 2 Corinthians 10, 1 to 5. Things that keep us from the knowledge of God. We say the words but there's no power or meaning behind them. There's no transformation and it's really keeping us from the knowledge of God. We say we think we know God. We don't know God. And so it's patience. We're dealing with strongholds, demonic forces that have their grip around our throats. And we're so bent with naturalism that when we even think about spiritual things, we won't, no, that's not real. It's very real. And the sad thing is we're blind to it. So it's patience. Preach patiently. When you talk to your coworkers, just realize it's going to take time. Unless the Spirit just, boom! Opens their eyes, raises them to life, and they repent and believe on the spot. That can happen. Not happening that much here, is it? And if you're engaging your domain, you know that. You're like, it's kind of like preaching to a wall. Yeah. It is. Stand up here one Sunday, you'll get it. You're like, I see it now. I got it. Patience. But preach with content. Don't just be passionate but passionately have something of value to say. Busy yourself knowing the truth and its application. Think hard on knowing your times and how to engage your time in history. We live in a unique time in world history. Think deeply on the truth of the Bible and its application in our current context. Listen, the Bible speaks of this stuff, guys. The Bible speaks to our time. It's not irrelevant. It addresses our world. And it requires some thought. It requires a little smarts to take the truth of Scripture and massage it down into our culture. 
That just you wake up and you're you're a savvy Christian inside your context. Truth, and when it butts up against untruth, we have to think, well, what do I do with this? It requires some time together. It requires life together. It requires listening, thinking, running ideas off of each other, refining that bad boy, and realizing, hey, there's a way here. So, busy yourself with knowing the truth and its application. Think hard on your times. So preach with patience, preach with content. Verse 3 to 4. Why preach the Word? Let's just ask the question, right? Why preach the Word? Well, he tells us four purpose clause, right? This, this This is the why preach the Word. Four indicates this is the purpose, why he wants us to preach the Word. Why? Jesus is coming. King, judge, ruler. Charge you, get this done. What are we supposed to do? Preach the Word. Well, Why? Okay? For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Why do we need to preach the word? Because many won't endure sound teaching. They have itching ears. They have itching ears. They want to hear a message that satisfies their placement in the world and justifies it. They want to lust after having more and the preacher say it's okay. They want to have pride in their possessions and have the preacher say, Jesus wants that for you. They want to hear a message that justifies being in the world and being okay with it. And Paul says the reason you're going to have to preach the Bible, re- preach this gospel message, is because the time is coming, it is here now, in which they are going to have itching ears. That is an ear that just wants to hear what it wants to hear. It just wants you to tell it what it wants to be, be told. Martin Luther said, this flesh is wont to grumble dreadfully. Translate that. Your flesh will grumble against you, and it will want things it doesn't need. Sugar is bad. Sugar will kill you. And yet I would just love to die with a sugar problem. Give me some cookies now. Right? Passed, all, passed out in the corner over there. Sugar coma. Right? Why? Because it just wants what it doesn't need. It's broke. Broke. I don't want raw broccoli. And if you do, you got a problem. Maybe. I don't know. It's broke. Right? It wants stuff it's not supposed to have. The soul wants things it's not supposed to have. The truth of the gospel is we get a new heart and we still have a broken body and we live with that tension until we die or Jesus returns and transforms us. And the reality is we've got to preach the Scriptures because we all have itching ears that just want to hear justification for us living in sin. I'm going to live in sin. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I want you to tell me it's okay. Don't reprove, rebuke, and exhort me. Right? Paul says, you can't do that, Timothy. You can't do that, Ephesus. You can't do that, church. You have to preach. Why? Because of time. Guys, people got itching ears. Have to obey. And he says they're going to accumulate teachers to tell them what they want to hear. This is one of the reasons in our denomination, the tenure of a pastor in any church is about two and a half years. Because they have to bring pastors from the outside. And they bring in a guy who doesn't get the culture. And when he tries to start doing right things, and that doesn't fit our culture, and they just jack him, right? 
So they are seeking to accumulate teachers who just kind of fit into their culture, right? But you need to be like Rome. I don't know if you understand this or not, but Rome's tough on pastors. I grew up here, and I've seen more than one man come here and burn out hard. Hard. Rome chews up its own. I got dear friends in this town who started churches, who pastored churches, and it chewed them up. Why? Because, man, he's just I'm kind of tired of him, right? He only says the same stuff. He's crazy about Jesus and about righteousness and holiness. And you just, I mean, we ain't growing like we ought to be growing. You just need just a new voice. And then you start backbiting, throwing those darts at him, eating grilled preacher for lunch. Next thing you know, dude's wife and family are chewed up and it's just for survival we got to go that's not healthy Rome Georgia it's not the kingdom because people want to accumulate for themselves teachers to tell them what they want to just think and hear be wary of the popularity of preachers whose message contains no reproof no rebuke no biblical exhortation like suffer well for the kingdom that cancer can be to the glory of God Hey, church, make disciples of the nations. Go to hard places. But he says they'll also turn from truth to myths. Turn from truth to myths. Turn to alternative explanations, alternative meta-narratives, right? Other ways to describe why things happen the way they happen. The biblical story is just not quite satisfying enough. We need karma. Right? What goes around comes around, right? If I hear another stinking Christian use the word karma, I might just go ahead and throat punch him. I'm like, this, come on, y'all. Really? Quit. We're not Hindus. Quit saying that junk. There are no alternative explanations. The Scriptures are the meta-narrative of the truth of human history. Or they are a lie. And we've learned in the text that the text is truthful, it's accurate. And if it's truthful and accurate, then this is the meta narrative. And everything must match it, right? So we look for all kinds of things to describe our experience apart from the scripture, because sometimes this is just too painful. Sometimes God actually allows suffering. Sometimes God is the author of suffering through the means of Satan who he has on a leash for his glory and our good. That's a fact, Jack. And if you don't like that, you've got to rip Job out of your Bible. You've got to rip David out of your Bible. You've got to rip Joseph out of your Bible. Genesis 33 all the way to the end of Genesis. You've got to rip out of your Bible. If you've read it, right? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Genesis 50-20. You wrestle with that? You meant this. God meant what you meant for my good. In other words, you were doing evil. God was using you using evil for my good. That will keep you sane. That's true. But you take a person who don't want to hear that, and they've wandered off into myths and found them all kinds of alternative explanations. And Paul says, you've got to preach this truth. Because people are going to wander off into myths, and they won't take the truth. And Paul says, Timothy, stay on task. Preach this Bible. Then come to verse 5. As for you, Timothy, and pastors, hear this. As for you, always be sober-minded. Three Rivers Community Church, hear this. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. 
the overarching theme here in verse 5 is fulfill the ministry. Fulfill the ministry. Fulfill the ministry. Fulfill the ministry. In other words, fulfill this task of making this truth known, the truth of the gospel. Make it clear. Make it clear. Make it clear. Live by it. Structure all things around it. It is the truth. It is the way. It is the life. So structure all things in and around it. So fulfill the ministry. How are we supposed to do it? He gives us three ways. I want to be sober-minded. Sober-mindedness. Make sense? As opposed to not sober-mindedness, right? There's a person who may be buzzing on something they probably have had too much of, right? And you're not thinking clearly, kind of wandering, staggering around. No aim, no goal, no purpose, not going anywhere. Just kind of doing your own thing. He says, no, no, you're going to fulfill the ministry. You can't be staggering around, aimlessly going anywhere, right? And Paul said this in the passage we preached before we left. You have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life. Timothy, follow. I'm going over there, and every step I take is going there. So just like that, you imitate that. Find an aim and get after it. What's the aim? Preach the Word. Get after it. That's your job. This isn't complicated. You can't write a book and make millions of dollars on this. It's already in the text. It's written in the book. Find the aim of the kingdom and walk toward it. If your steps aren't toward the establishment of Jesus, you have a wrong aim. Fix your aim. Right? Make sense? So whatever your domain is, point it toward Jesus and His kingdom and the rule of Christ in your domain. Sober-minded. There's the kingdom. Here I am. Here's my domain. Let's go there. Sober-minded. Thinking soberly, not aimlessly wandering about. Endure suffering. In other words, if you get sober-minded about the kingdom, you're going to encounter opposition. It just is. Why? Because kingdoms are in conflict. The kingdom of this world that is operated by Satan and all the demons and the rebellion against the kingdom of God is in opposition to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so when they come in conflict, there's going to be sparks. This is a glimpse. We got to taste that last week in the group of men. There was demonic stuff happening. And believers. And this is kind of stuff here. We can, oh, that stuff happened. It is real. Some of us get to see this here. It's overt there. Where they will talk to you. Where they will fight against you. And the, the sad thing here, and this is the kind of stuff that just runs Western Christians off, but it's just the God honest truth. There are kingdoms in conflict, and this is why kingdom is hard here. Is because there are demonic strongholds in this town that have grips on things, and when we run up against it, we run from it. And we look for alternative meta-narratives. Endure suffering. There are going to be times in doing work that we're going to have to punch through walls. We're going to have to fight, scrape, rake, pray, fast. Jesus said about one particular kind, this kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. So there are going to be seasons we need to pray and not eat. I don't mean cheap Western fasting where we're like, I'm only going to eat beans for 30 days or lettuce for 30 days. I mean, don't eat again until Jesus moves. That's biblical fasting. I'm not going to play Xbox for 30 days. Come on, man, really? I'm not going to watch television for 30 days. No, don't eat until God moves. That's the kind, when Jesus says fast, that's what he has in mind. You just need to know that. And we've kind of westernized that, made it easier on ourselves, right? Endure suffering, endure suffering, endure suffering. But Jesus didn't tell me to not watch the Falcons game today. I know that for a fact. I'm just, <laughs> just saying. Kickoffs at one. Um, endure suffering. And do the work of an evangelist. You know what that means? 
You're an evangelist. Evangelist, euangelisto, a person who proclaims the good news. An evangelist is one who tells the good news of the kingdom. So when you're talking about the rule of Jesus Christ over every domain of society, you're telling them that's really good news because Jesus rules that domain. It's His. And He's bringing it back under His rule. And His Bible says to do it like this. That's good news. So every one of you get to fulfill your role of being an evangelist. Tell the good news of the rule of Jesus Christ over that. And Paul says here, church, Scriptures are breathed out by God. They're given by God. They're profitable. Make us complete. Equipped for every good work. So therefore, Jesus is coming. He's King. He rules all things. So I'm charging you, get after it, preach this word. So Three Rivers Community Church, you have a message to proclaim. The world awaits it. There are thousands of yet unengaged groups of people that have never had a gospel witness. Ours is beginning to receive that gospel witness. They're repenting and believing the good news. The Spirit of God is at work. The kingdom is birthing powerfully. But there are still unengaged peoples and there are churches that are asleep. Wondering about whether or not they can have their best Friday and missing the kingdom. There's community church, you know better. So I charge you from the scriptures, get after the kingdom. Preach the word. Listen, simple. Tell it. Make disciples. Bring that domain back under the rule of Jesus Christ. Because the King is coming. He's coming to judge. And He's spreading His kingdom. And we don't want to be found asleep. Missing it. Doing something else. But through His community church, let's get after it. By the way, our success is guaranteed. Success is guaranteed. If we do the kingdom, we will see kingdom come. And as we always like to say, and as we close things up, we worship. We worship. Got to witness that this week, and I can't wait to share some audio of, see, we got like, Adam's got like a file cabinet downstairs. It's got our songs in it. We got hymn books. They don't have hymn books. They're writing them for the first time. I got an audio copy of that. So we get to pick from all kinds of songs. And they sing it to the glory of Jesus. And it's awesome. Don't miss the opportunity to join with the nations in making much of Jesus this morning. So we come to the end and we respond to the Lord Jesus. Psalm 147.1, praise the Lord. By the way, it's funny how people who are new to the faith take what the Bible says and just assume they ought to do it. I'm like, thank God. We just read it going, well, let's analyze that. Break that down. No, just praise Him. Praise the Lord. It's good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. Don't need any explanation. It's fitting and right to worship Jesus. So through His community church, will you worship Jesus this morning?